0: Welcome to Live Your Own Way with me, Lucy Gleason Interiors, chatting homes, life and inspiration with my very special guests. Today I'm chatting to property expert, writer and broadcaster, Kunle Barker. Kun Lee is Chief Operating Officer at Melt Property and Brand Ambassador for InFrame Space, as well as Presenter and Curator at Grand Designs Live and Columnist at Architects Journal. He's also a judge for several prestigious awards, including British Home Awards and International Property Awards. If you love ITV's Love Your Home and Garden, like me, then you'll also have seen him working alongside Alan Titchmarsh on the show. Now, you may well be wondering at this point how he has time to fit it all into a career. I guess we're about to find out. Kunle, firstly, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
1: I am very good, considering these strange times. But yeah, very, very good. Thank you.
0: Good. Are you able to get on site at the moment with your work?
1: Um, yeah, we are. So we, you know, we do it in a sensible way, and we only do it if we have to. So um, I tend to only visit sites, um, our development sites, so where there are no people sort of living there, um, and it's much easier to control your interactions on those kind of sites. But yeah, we're still working full steam ahead, really. And are you based in London? Yep, I'm based in northwest London, a place called Dollis Hill, just around the corner from where I was born, actually, in Willesden. Um, and I live there with my wife and two kids.
0: Oh, I love Dollis Hill. I really do. I miss London. I'm, I'm in Suffolk now, but I I grew up in London. Oh, so, and you know Dollis Hill? I, oh, I know Dollis Hill very well. Yes, yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, um. Obviously, you you have a very busy career. You have you know you creating, presenting, and also with your own property development company. Where did your interest in homes begin?
1: Um, I think I hadn't realised this until I was asked in an interview um, last year. And I think I'd always I'd always been interested in buildings. I think, and I'd always been interested. I always remember as a kid, my father worked for British Telecom, um, and. I don't know if people know, but the, the exchanges were these beautiful old Victorian buildings and you can see them, they're still in existence, most of them. And they're spectacular. And I always he, he would, uh, some Saturdays he would take me to work with him and I always remember staring up at these huge buildings and the detailing on the windows and the detailing in the, the exterior facade and just marvelling at it. So I think I was always interested in building things and like I think any kid you know, was interested in Lego and Meccano, um, and so I was, I, in, in a weird way, I've always been interested in, in, in the built environment,
0: I guess. Okay, and then you went on to study construction at Leeds University, is that right?
1: Uh, engineering, actually, manufacturing engineering. I studied engineering, and then I did a master's degree in human resource management, so.
0: What does it entail, do, that kind of degree, and how long does it take?
1: So the first degree is four years, including a year's placement, and it was effectively, um, it's all about manufacturing systems and how you manufacture things more important, more um, efficiently, more effectively, um, and it, it was fascinating. And it was all about the emergence back then because it's quite a while ago now. So this was all about the emergence of CNC um, technology, robotics, and it was it was absolutely fascinating. And in a really strange way has come full circle because recently, um, with my job with the works that I'm doing, we are um, dealing with that kind of technology. So we're dealing with modular construction in terms of not just people's houses, um, but we there's a company that we've just helped launch called InFrame Space, and we are developing um, a system. We've developed a system, a modular system, where we can uh, manufacture people's uh, garden rooms for people and extensions, and in fact, houses for people um you know in a factory um and also on top of that things like cnc design in um in architectural details like staircases and um furniture developments in there have been amazing and it's quite funny sitting around meetings thinking yeah you know i studied all this stuff like over 20 years ago great to finally see it coming through
0: so so it really helped then the time of studying to what you're doing now
1: yeah i think it does i think but that's true of any degree i think i think. Um, you know might you, you just need to learn things um, and it might not be apparent at the time you know when I was 19 or 20 years old um, you know sitting in a in the robot lab in, in, in Leeds I, I'm not sure that I thought that you know all these years later I would be um, talking to people about decorative details and staircases that were manufactured using the technology I was, I was looking at at the time but it is funny how you know the more you learn the more things come back round and and become useful.
0: Yeah. So when you um, left university, obviously then you're working and you developed your uh, construction company and then obviously you're working, you know, you have to learn to work with trades. How do you learn all the different aspects to it and how it all merges together?
1: Um, You you learn as you go. You learn on the job, as it were. I mean, you know, there was a bit of a, there's a gap, a slight gap between, you know, when I left university, actually... I set up a PR company and an events company um, in Leeds, and we ran that for. I ran that with some buddies of mine for four or five years. Um, Then came to London to do take on a job on a um, for an internet startup company, which was the precursor. I guess it was a um, it was a portal which put people together. So this was in the days before Google and things. And I did that, and then eventually got into property development and went back to Leeds. Um, and bought a, a student property and um, renovated it that was a big learning curve I mean I you know back then again there wasn't you know it wasn't like looking there was no YouTube there's no Google so I think I was buying these big DIY books and looking up how to plaster and how to paint and how to do all these things and you just learn as you go and it's a, you know it's, it's, it is in essence the best way to learn.
0: Yeah and from that first um, property you've obviously gone on to, de- to deliver thousands of um, residential refurbishments and even schools and sports centres so how do you find all the right people for the job because obviously there's a lot of people involved
1: it's probably your biggest single challenge in in running a what we were at the time a, a sub um a, a subcontractor so we were working for bigger companies like the tier one contractors like Kears, Balfour, Beatty. but your biggest challenge um I think um, and it's true today today I work for a um a development company, a boutique developer called um, Melt Property. And again, you know, when we're looking at our supply chain, how we deliver things, you know, the the biggest thing to get right is hiring the right people. Um, And some of that is instinct. Some of that is knowledge. um, Some of that is inspiration. And the rest is perspiration, i.e. you have to kiss a lot of frogs to get your (laughs) prints.
0: And also actually you just met talking about instinct I was going to ask you do you instinctively know when you see a new property what you're going to do with it or does it t- take time and planning
1: um I you don't instantly see no you have an idea because you have almost like constructs already in your mind um the work that I did when I was running my own company is very different to what I do now working for Mel property you know we have when I see a site, I have an idea of what I'm, what we, we need to try and achieve. That may that may change as things progress, and working closely with our CEO Evan McDonald, who um, has you know twenty years' experience doing big developments, he will you know his input is really interesting because he you know he sees it in a different way to me. So, but things things do change. But you have a a rough outline. The best way to put it is you have a draft idea. And then that, you work on that as things progress and ultimately probably changes quite a bit.
0: Okay. And how do you deliver on time? How does that happen? Or is that a loaded question? <laughs>
1: no, that is not a loaded question. How do you happen to... Um, you, you focus and you organise and you have the right supply chain. You have the right people. Um, you You make sure that everybody who is involved in the project understands your goals. Because... Actually, construction has normally three global goals. One's time, one's quality, and one is price or budget. Now, depending on uh, on who you're dealing with, um, those things are in slightly different priorities. So actually, the key is to understand your client's priority and understand what you want to achieve and make sure that's communicated to your team and to make sure you've got a good team around you who are, and have the skill set in order to help you meet those goals.
0: Yeah, and who's your first point of call then, usually? Is it the architect when you start working on something?
1: Yeah, it normally is, actually. Most things do start with the architect. I mean, when I'll see a site, I'll have an idea, but I then go to the architect and, and, and speak to them. And, and that is true of, you know, for Mel, I'm doing a 140-room hotel in Clapham Road at the moment, and we've got a few other big projects like that. It's true of that, or it's true, you know, when I was... Running my own company, when we, you know, we would do um, a new extension or we would rebuild a house for somebody. You know, it, you start with the design, and if you get that, if you get that right, you've given yourself the best opportunity to get your project done on time, on budget, and on quality, which is the three mantras that we I tend to sort of live by. Yeah,
0: and and are you seeing? More women in the world of construction
1: now. Yes, I mean, for years when I ran my other company, we, we I um I did a lot of work with an organisation called Women into Construction, and we made sure that we had um, women within our supply chain, that we had women uh, working for us. In fact, our senior management team were fifty percent uh, women, actually. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, and um, you know, and we had lots of women. In trade, I mean, you know, it, it's difficult because there are barriers. And actually, I, I ran, I, I sort of designed and ran a course uh, aimed specifically at getting women into construction. And the idea was to break down the barriers. And we ran that in in, um, in partnership with Camden Council, down at King's Cross, actually. And there's a place down there called the King's Cross Construction Skills Centre, which is on, um, I think, it's on York Road, and. We ran a course there, and we invited women to come along. And we, you know, on Monday we showed them about um, we showed them plumbing. Then Tuesday it was decorating, and we went on through all the trades. And the idea was just to give them a quick burst and insight into what it into what it takes, you know, and, and so they can understand perhaps what they would be interested in. It was a really, really well um, um, attended course. We we're really, really pleased with the results, and. I remember years later I was at an event and um, one of the ladies that had attended was there and, you know, and she was a, a... Well, two actually. And one was a one was an electrician, the other one was a painter-decorator and they'd attended that course all those years before. So I was really pleased about that.
0: Yeah, that must have been lovely to see. So, um, And you also mentioned um, that you, you have focused on sustainability, which I, has come up a lot, actually, on my podcast recently, which is really good to know. How do you approach it with your work?
1: So it's the... One of the principles that underlines anything that we do, um, we want to um, deliver projects in the most sustainable way. So um, zero waste, which is a big ask if anybody's ever been to a construction site to do something in zero waste. In fact, when I was first told about that, I, you know, it took them quite a while to, to convince me it could be achieved, but it can be. Um, zero carbon, so that the... Um, the the projects that you build are not um, impacting the, the in the environment negatively, um, and that includes the embodied carbon. So that includes the materials you use and how you how you put the building together. So that's the carbon it takes to to make a piece of plasterboard or to make a window or something. You know to make sure all of that is as low carbon as as possible. And it's really interesting because one of the other things that I'm doing at the moment is I'm working um, with the government. I promoting the, the the green grant the green homes grant sorry and that's fascinating because if you look at the the issue that we have with sustainability and with reaching this this net zero target that the government set us, there is no way that we can meet that target unless we tackle the um, the existing um, homes the existing houses. Um, you know eighty percent of the issue is already built. Um, and so we need, to, we need to we need to tackle those. So this the Green Homes Grant is kind of fundamental, really, if we're going to hit that target because people need to um, make their own homes more sustainable. Um, by and, you know, it, and again, it, it's pretty straightforward stuff. But it's insulation, insulation in the loft, double glazing, uh, make sure your doors are, are, you know are, are well fitted, and, and then it goes up the chain to things like you know air source heat pumps and things like that but there are things you can do at the bottom of that spectrum that will still make a big difference
0: and these are all things that you can actually do to an existing home as well are they that's the whole
1: point of the green homes grant is that it's a a grant i think it's five thousand pounds or ten thousand if you're on a low income um, and they will cover i think sixty percent or sixty six percent of the work that you're you're having done so that is kind of really interesting it's a really interesting way so what we're working with the government on is is producing a series of my idea which which we've not agreed on yet is to produce a series of videos effectively a, a kind of video channel where we will be showing people a few things one we'll be showing them what they should be looking at doing in their home the order in which they should do those things so for example there's no point in fitting a kind of you know really efficient underfloor heating system if you live in a Old leaky Victorian house—it just won't work, and you won't get the benefit. So we explain to people that you know, first you have to start with the fabric of your buildings You have to make sure that that is airtight and well insulated. Then you can move on to how you distribute heat. And the heat sorry, and then maybe you can think about how you um, how you generate heat. So you can move away from a gas boiler into something like air source heating. Or you know, there's even these. um this company called Sunapp who use. Um, chemical reaction to produce heat. So I don't know if you've ever seen those um those hand warmers you get when you go skiing and they're all they're kind of liquid. Oh cool. Um, and then you press the button and they go hard. Yeah. But the, there's a reaction going on it produces heat. Well effectively this company does that to produce heat. There's a heat transfer system and they use that to heat your hot water. They then pass a current through those batteries and then they become liquid again. I think from memory Russell went skiing the The ones that you have in your hand, you, you I think you boil them or something, and then they become liquid again, and then you can keep reusing them. So there's lots of really interesting technology
0: out there. yeah, well, speaking of technology, um obviously it's ever evolving. How far do you think we can we can go with it in our homes? Do you think it's just going to keep on changing and evolving? Yeah, you again?
1: can go you know you can go all the way, I mean but you you've got to tackle it in in terms of how you retain heat, so that's how well insulated your home is. That's the first problem. Then you, th- you then you can start thinking about how um that is generated and then how it's distributed. So if you tackle all of those things in that kind of order, I mean the the, the, the generation of the heat and the distribution of the heat can be tackled together or in, in different orders, but as long as you've got a kind of plan. But if you can do that, then there is no reason that all of our homes should not be you know be completely not off grid because you'd be still connected to water and sewage but certainly you know producing most of your own electricity um which is then used to um heat your home and even cool it as well if if, if you need to be
0: yeah i like the idea of that because the summers just feel so hot now Uh, having a cooler house would be lovely so you've won various awards over the time you won um uh, not long ago, Property Expert of the Year and also Design and Build Company of the Year at the same time. Were you expecting to win both?
1: Uh, no, we weren't actually. And um, it's funny, you know, not necessarily awards that we applied for. People would sort of ring you and say, you know, you've been nominated and, and, and you've won these awards. And and you know, and look, and that's that's great. But I think the real um, the the thing that I'm really you know that really rewards you is when you provide someone with a with a good home. You know, where you change someone's life for the better by improving their home or because I don't really work in that um, subcontract business anymore. um, So what I really do is I help people um, or guide them into how they can improve their homes, how they can improve their lives. Um, And, you know, those those are the things that are really rewarding.
0: And you're doing that kind of with your YouTube channel as well, aren't you? Because I love, I'm subscribed and I, I do watch your videos. And then obviously your, you know, your t- TV career, career has come along. Uh, how did that happen?
1: Quite by accident. I think ITV were doing a new show for um, with Alan Titchmarsh called, here's a show that's been running for I think 10 years almost now, called Love Your Garden. And they had an idea to do a version of it, which is Love Your Home and Garden, where they do not just do the garden up, but they do the, the house up as well. And they were looking for somebody... You could um, you could like deliver the project, and they also asked me to be on screen. And then from that, I just got lots of other offers and started working. Uh, at Grand Designs Live, and you know, recently um, been working some really interesting project projects. I can't really talk about, it, but they are we're sort of halfway filming one, and we, we're talking about starting filming another another one, or maybe two, kind of later on this year. Um obviously COVID kind of um, came along and, and, and meant that we one of the shows we were filming was in Italy, so we had to start that, unfortunately. And we're not sure we can start that again. But it's really exciting for me. And it's, uh, I mean, television is interesting and it's, it's, it's just another medium to reach people and, and to get your message across. So, you know, it, it's kind of an, an, a, a, you know, a kind of um, wider seen version of you know blogging or video you know a youtube channel or, or, or a podcast it's just seen by more people but it's the same kind of thing it's a way of getting your message across, across which is great
0: yeah, absolutely. do you find presenting easy because you come across very naturally but it's not actually that easy is it when you've got a camera there and you've got you know you're trying to remember what you're talking about and lighting and
1: yeah it's, it's it is it is much easier than um i thought it would be um, and I, I think that all goes back to, so I'm not, you know, I don't call myself a presenter as such. Um, you know, those you know, people like Davina McCool, Dylan O'Leary, that's not really what I do. I am a kind of expert. So they're always asking me about something that I know about, that I know intimately about. And, it, and it's very easy then. And it's very easy to be natural when you're talking um, about something that you care about, that you know about and that you love. Having said that, though, um, you know, when you watch an hour of TV, we've normally shot 50, so there's a lot of stuff that you don't see. And, you know, we do have to do things again because it doesn't feel right. Or, you know, so it, when I say it's, it's easier than I thought, I mean, it, 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 it kind of is. But even now I'm thinking, thinking, actually, yeah, you know, you do have to do a lot in order to get that. Because I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert in it. But I've been very lucky to work with some great, very talented people at ITV and, um, Working with Anne Titchmarsh was just phenomenal, just seeing, you know, the guy's work ethic, uh, his passion for improving people's lives, which is all incredibly genuine. I mean, he's exactly the same off-screen as he is on-screen, um, which is lovely. But watching him work was great, understanding he you do that. Um, I've also worked closely with Kevin, Kevin McLeod. and, um, again, watching him work is... Um, is a delight and you, you you just learn from being around really talented people who are good at their jobs and um i you know that that's really really helped me and you know even when i watched if i watched back the first things i do on television and then they sent me some of the stuff in italy uh just before christmas which i watched and i was just incredibly proud of it it was and it was so much better you know you can just see yourself getting better and better and better so like anything else, practice makes perfect,
0: I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've worked in TV for a long time too, so I know what you mean, and you're the, you, know, you, you get to see the polished version on TV, but it really does take a sort of long time to put it together with loads of people, doesn't it? So you're also the um, curator and main speaker at Grand Designs Live as well, and that's a huge show to pull together, so is it different for you every time, or is it like a well-oiled machine now?
1: um it's different every time and you know i mean i don't put it together i mean i i I, you know that's kind of a grand title that i've got there but you know i i come up i help them and 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 speak to them about ideas that they have and that i have but you know the company behind it the company called media 10 who run um grand designs live i mean they're amazing and they um you know they pull all this together and it's just fantastic but for me it's the dream job because effectively they say to me, "What do you want to talk about in terms of building and design and construction?" And I just like go, "Yeah, I want to talk about this, this, this. We should do this. We should talk about this." And, you know, and some of it gets gets on stage. And of course, I get to work with Kevin, which is as I said, a delight. But also, I mean, Grand designs has been—it was its twentieth anniversary last, uh, the year before last, I think. Um, and um, it was great. It was a great honour, actually, and I, I was asked to do the the kind of formal twentieth anniversary interview with Kevin live on stage. And you know, we had an amazing chat. But when you look through, and that year was great because we went all the way back to some of the first episodes, um, and um, and interviewed some of the first um, um, architects who were on the show, some of the first contributors. You Know and some of them, there was one, um, I forgot his name now, Monty, who had a, a, a building, um, that he built, I think, somewhere in London, Islington Way, and had this huge glass sliding roof. And at the time, I remember the scene, there's a big glass sliding roof, gla- and, and, and then at, the, at that time, they announced that, um, Monty's wife, who had forgotten her name, is pregnant. Um, and when I was on stage, because this was like the second or third episode, so this was like 15 years, no. Not episode second or third season, you know. And then when we were doing it on stage two years ago, their son was there. You know, the son that was you know yet to be born in that in that in, in that part of the episode, and it was just great to interview him. And he was on stage with us when we were chatting about it. And you know, it, it's been amazing to see the journey that some of the architects who took who have taken, and actually people don't really talk about it much, but it's, it seems to be a, a really good springboard for. Um, architects good architects at least anyway um and there are at least three or four that i know where that was their first project as a as a practice and they've gone on you know they're all still around doing great things at the moment so it's a great kind of brand to be associated with and for me it's you know you you're, you know I, I can't really call it work it's just you know it is the, the kind of personification of my hobby my greatest hobby which is you know homes and design
0: well, it's very lucky, isn't it? Talking of which, um, you're talking about, you know, past um, people who've built their houses. Um, I spoke to Tom Raffield recently on the podcast, who built this steam-bent house. His, um, oh,
1: yes, of course. Yes.
0: incredible. So they've they just had so many beautiful homes. You're, you're really, really lucky. Um, what kind of questions do you get asked the most when you do Q&As on the show?
1: Um, it's all the same stuff. Uh, should I pay a deposit? um how much should i put do i need a contingency should i have a project manager how do i choose a builder um what sort of contract should i sign it's always those kind of so it depends who you're talking to but those are the kind of like real kind of you know getting to the meat of it questions then you get other questions such as um you know or should i have an open plan living space or you know um you know what kind of kitchen should i go for um or you know, should I move to, to a bigger house? And those sort of questions were a little bit more difficult to answer. And I think with those, all you can give really is advice based on, you know, my knowledge of what I did, um, what worked and what didn't work, and also, you know, things that I've seen.
0: Yeah. And is it affected by lockdown, the, the show? Are you doing it online instead, or how's that working?
1: So we did a series of Instagram live shows um, over... Um, over the first lockdown, uh, which is fantastic. And then one of them, we we interviewed Kevin, and that was great. Um, And at the moment, we we didn't do anything online. At the moment, you know, all all plans are about, you know, the the event which is due to take place in uh, May in London and then October in
0: Birmingham. Okay, well, that's good. I'm looking forward to that. And also, you write um, a column for the Grand Designs magazine, don't you? Is that monthly?
1: Yeah, I haven't written for the Grandsons magazine for a while. I, what I'm doing monthly at the moment is a column for the Architects Journal. Um, and I do a monthly column for them about kind of anything I want, really. Although when I say anything I want, I mean, they leave it to me to come up with the ideas. I have to kind of pitch them to them. But, um, yeah, and it's been great. I've been able to cover, you know, um, the opportunities for architects in uh, post-COVID, what they should be looking at. Um, I've been able to look at diversity within architecture a couple of times. Um, I just finished one was published on the on the first of February, um, which is about um, the new ways that architects are using um, uh, video conferencing to engage with clients and new ways new ways of charging clients to to kind of make architectural services more um, available to, to to more people. Which and it's so it's great fun actually. Um it's hard work, but it's 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 great to be you know given and it's a great title obviously,
0: yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure how you fit it all in to be honest with you because you're also you've been a judge on the British Home Awards. is that a regular thing and how do you pick a winner on something like that with all the amazing talent
1: uh it is incredibly difficult um so I do a lot of judging it so I'm judge on the British Home Awards, also the International Property Awards, and also, we've just been judging in the last few weeks, um, the NLA's um, Don't Move, Improve Awards, which are fantastic. And uh, when you look at these, what people have entered, because obviously they go through a, a kind of system, and filtered down by the time they get to the judges. But you know, they're all fantastic. And there's something that, yeah, I think... There is always something that I love in every single entry that I see, which is great. Not that great for when you're trying to pick a win. It's very hard, but it's great. They have a great mix. So actually, um, the Don't Move Improve Awards, we had um, uh, some architects. Um, Karen was there, who's the editor of Grand Designs Magazine, and me. And it's great. And you kind of just look at these things and chat, and it's great to hear it from different perspectives, where you've got architects who know intimately what's happening with the design and someone like me, who's more kind of like, well, you know, that looks really good. I like that. That's really cool. I like that. Um, and, um, you know, and, and then, you know, or someone like me who's kind of saying, yeah, but that's really difficult to build, you know, they, you know, to get that right, they've really done a great job there. So it's really interesting to have everybody's perspectives and actually what's quite interesting is that, um, you know, we all have our say, and actually, normally, the consensus is 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 fine. You know, we all kind of agree at the end. Um There's never been any, in any of those awards that I've seen, where there's been anybody who, you know, big disagreements about who should go through or who shouldn't. I think um it's a really interesting way to, and it's a great learning way to learn and see more things and learn a, a bit more about architecture. So it's, I, I really... You know, it's time consuming sometimes, but I really do enjoy the process of judging.
0: It's it's great to hear, but it sounds like you just really enjoy your job, almost to the point where it's just sort of obviously is work, but it sounds like it's, you know, fun to you at the same time, which is a great position to be in. Yeah,
1: they are. I mean, you know, the work that I do with, with melt Property, which is effectively my full-time job now, is um, I'm I'm COO there, so it's, it's quite an important role. And the company's growing quickly um and again that is an extension of a hobby you know and it's and also it's a development of my career and i'm learning a lot from evan and working in the way that he works and how deals are put together how we design things then you know when i first joined i was head of design and, and delivery so my job was just to make sure that we delivered projects on time on budget and on quality um and that they, you know, were fit for purpose. And the, the, the first project that I've delivered is a, um, our Lime Grove project, which is in just outside of Gloucestershire. And um, it's, I, I'm so proud of it, and we won some awards, and it, it's just one of the, you know... It, when we were designing it, um, and I talk a lot about this at Grand Designs, um, and I do Home which I talk about as well, but when you're designing things, People think it's about throwing money at things and it's not um your budget is not as important as how you split that budget up how you how you apportion it so when i was dealing with the interiors um looking at the interior design after we, we, we built out the properties um you know if you look through the photos now which which looks stunning but there are things in there from ikea there are things in there from habitat there are things in there from made from amazon And then there are things in there that are incredibly expensive. Um, Now, the trained guy might know which ones they are, but that's not really the point. The point is when you bring them all together, they look absolutely fantastic.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you don't have to spend a lot of money, do you, to create these things? Um, Well, I'd be crazy, while I've got your attention, (laughs) to not ask you some home improvement questions. And I'm pretty sure I heard you say at one point that you can add up to about 20% value to your property by working on the garden so how is that right
1: yeah i mean that's that's what the research says yeah absolutely you know you can at least 20 percent a well-maintained well-kept garden will add 20 percent to the house the the value of your house which makes sense because if you think that the um part of the value big part of the value of your property is the is the land itself and depending on where your house is where you live if you think about how much of that is built how much of that is just land, like garden and stuff, well, it would make sense because you know, a, a big part of your plot isn't built on, you know, it's just it's your garden, maybe your front, your rear garden. Obviously, that depends on where you live, but if it is a big portion um, of your, sort of, the, the footprint of your of, your, of, the, of what you own, then it makes sense to make that usable and it, make, it makes sense to make that, you know, um, very much part of the design And one of the things that was really interesting when I worked on um, Love Your Home and Garden for ITV was that when Alan and and the others were designing these gardens, they were doing it in tandem with the architects who were designing the interior, and the results were absolutely spectacular. And, you know, even throughout all the years that I'd been involved in, in property, what typically happens is the client spends a huge amount of money on their home, and then As you're leaving they ask you to you know to level it off and put some turf down or something you know and that's completely the wrong way around to think of it you've got to and it it makes and interestingly um we did a relatively good job on our garden um not not the best but you know a, a kind of good job on and it was more about the interaction between the house and the garden how you move between them and it was invaluable over lockdown you know we were quite lucky the weather was very nice most of the time over the first lockdown and it really you know it I, I really understood and was really pleased that we spent some money and time on not only that interaction how you how the garden kind of interacts with the interior of the house but you know the actual layout of the garden and we'd done several things over the years and done it bit by bit but it was it was it was it was fantastic and I think. Um, you know, people are beginning to realise that that you know a bit of turf and some crazy paving just won't cut it You know, we you need um, your garden needs and deserves actually to have the um, amount of attention that the interior of your house does.
0: So, what sort of things can you do to a garden to you know make that happen? What what did you do in yours then? Because we're we're trying to do ours at the moment actually, and and um, we've just got grass out there and. Um, my sister in laws doing a design for us, but what what else can we do just to make it sort of a bit more special out there?
1: Well, listen, that's really interesting. Now, I get asked things like that a lot, and and the question is, I have to throw it back at people. I said, well, it's not about what you do; it's about how do you want to use the garden. You know, how do you use the garden? You know, what's your appetite for gardening? You know, are you keen? You and your husband are keen gardeners? You know, do you have children? Do you have parties? Um, you know, do you like to? You know, if it's sunny, do you like to sit and, you know, eat outside? Do you want to eat breakfast outside, dinner? You know, these are the sort of things that you have to ask first. And then you design the garden around that, around the things that you like to do. And it's always it's slightly different for other people. But, you know, depending on the size of the garden and, and the type, um, zoning your garden works very well. So having areas that are set out to do specific things, that could be, um, an area to um, to eat, to barbecue, to entertain, and uh, that could be a garden room. Um, in order for you to have a, a bit more space um, to do different things, um, one of the things that we did we had a we had a goal, so we had a photo, an inspirational photo, and we didn't we didn't we probably didn't um, achieve that aspiration for probably three or four years, and the reason was because of budget. Um, we we had to buy all the plants quite small and let them grow in, but now it's just fantastic it's like this amazing kind of wonderland and lots of evergreen and um, and we're still working on it now, we're still looking at um, how we can the canopy's raised up over the years which is great, so it's enclosed it, but then one of the problems was it killed all the grass and we had to think about that and so in the end we, we, we opted for um, um, artificial grass, which is Absolutely a godsend. It's fantastic. And, um, and that was so sometimes you have to just change with what happens. But now the canopy's risen. We've got this area underneath. We're like, well, okay, well, now we can do something like that. So we've got, we're talking to people about doing some, some wildflower meadow type things. And bearing in mind, this is a very small London terraced house garden in Dollis Hill. So it's kind of six meters wide by maybe 15 long or something. This it's not huge at all. But that doesn't matter. And actually, one of the things I always say to people is people think, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do because my garden's small. Well, actually, that's what it matters the most, I think, um, when you've got a small garden. So, um, yeah, I've been a big since working with Alan, I've always you know, been a big proponent of people making sure that they think of the garden and think about what they can do to it
0: yeah and inside the, the house what are some small things you can do to add value if you've just got a, a you know a small budget
1: if you've got a small budget um the things that you can do to add value is is to make you know make the home more user friendly it's strange i mean adding value to a home it's really strange. So i always say to people look the, only, the the real way to add value to a home is to add uh space square meters yeah so that's kind of like, we i mean we don't tend to value homes like that in our heads in the uk we tend to think about where it is and the amount of bedrooms it has but actually the value of your house is based on its square meters its size so if you add on an extension or a garden room or anything like that you will add value that's just a given so i guess what people really mean is sometimes is they're asking me you know well if i wanted to sell it how do i make it easy to sell or how do i make it more attractive or appealing to people and the way that you do that is just by you know having a coherent understanding of what it is you're trying to achieve in terms of how you live your life and and realize that you don't have to spend lots of money at all you know there's things that you can do just by repainting deep i used to do these top 10 hacks to sort of improve your home the first two were uh, declutter it repaint it and get it cleaned if you do those three things you'd be you know, you'd be amazed at how how different your home will look and feel. Yes,
0: yeah, it's, it's very good for the mind as well, isn't it? That like, I saw a really good YouTube video um, on your channel where you took out a bedroom in a house and put in an atrium, which was fantastic. So um, most people would probably worry about taking out a bedroom. Does it matter sometimes if you do that, if you're actually going to improve it greatly with light or you no know, aesthetically? No,
1: and, you know, look, this is, you know, people trying to think of it really binary and binary words, like, oh, I'll add an extension, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll put in a new kitchen. New kitchens don't improve the value of the house, by the way, because when you value a home, um, they only value things that are, are part of the fabric of the building, and the kitchen is, in theory, removable. Um, and so it, it doesn't add value to your home. Lots of people think it, it does. But, yeah, when you are, you know, when you're looking at how to, how to add, add value to your home or, or things you should be doing, um, it's really interesting if you just stop, think, and just think about how you actually live and what it is that you're actually trying to to do.
0: Okay, here's a big question: What to you is good design?
1: What is good design? That's a really, really good one. This is good design, and you are you find out something is good design if you can answer these three questions with a yes. Does it look good? Does it function properly? doesn't make you feel happy. Now, you don't necessarily have to answer all three of those questions, but, you know, two of them, and then that's something that's designed well.
0: I just want to ask you, obviously, I know about your garden now, but your own home, are you, with your, you know, developing uh, your mind, are you always thinking about your own home and what else you can do to it? Or is it like your haven, especially over the last year or so, where you can just switch off and not think about all of that?
1: Oh, no, I'm always thinking about it because, you know, it's an you know the way that you live in your home and and, and doing up your home is it's, it's an evolution it evolves with you as your life evolves so funny enough i just instructed some architects um to come up with a plan to to redesign parts of our home now we 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 did it up some 10 years ago and my wife and i designed it together and it's fantastic we love the home um but we designed it as two single people, not single, two, we didn't have kids, we weren't married. Now we're married, we have two kids. You know, we, we, all of a sudden we found that this great kind of open, huge open plan space on the ground floor is is not quite what it was, uh, you know, sort of 10 years ago in terms of our lifestyle, because that's moved on. So it's almost impossible to keep the place tidy. Uh, we, have, we have no storage. We don't have enough storage at all. Um, and so whilst we're not going to be structurally changing anything the really interesting process that we will be going through is looking at how our lives have changed and what we can do to improve that and um so my answer to people is just you know keep improving keep going but yeah every time when when i i'm always seeing things and think oh gosh that you know that, that would be great but it's more important actually that you um and that's why you need an architect, I think. It's because you need a kind of coherent idea of what you're, you're going to do. Otherwise, it's kind of like asking your kids to, you know, you know, when you, you ask a kid to make a pizza and they ask, you tell them what do you want on it. And they just say all the things that they like. So they say, like, oh, gummy beers and chocolate and honey. You know, you can, if you try and do your homework yourself, you can, it can be a bit like that. You can just see, oh, I love, oh, I love that, you know, that tractor seat. Um, uh, bar stool that I saw in that in that hotel we we're in. Oh, I love that light fitting in that restaurant. And then, but it doesn't work together. It doesn't work in terms of what you're trying to achieve. So that's the kind of thing that you know architects and you know are fantastic at helping with.
0: They're good mediators as well, aren't they? If it's a couple, because they can pull the, the um, ideas together rather than, like you say, coming up with hundreds. So
1: no, I was just going to say no. You know that process. You know a lot of people. Um, Won't want to instruct architects because they think their their project's too small and they don't have the budget. And, you know, I've always been, I work a lot with the ROBA about, you know, about about sort of trying to be an ambassador for architecture and for architects and their service. It's really important that you speak to an architect, even speak to one. If you don't instruct one, at least speak to one about your your project because, you know, these are some of the best trained and longest trained professionals out there. Um, And your home is really, really important. And sometimes all you need is somebody to effectively to kind of curate the ideas that are in your head and kind of pull them together in a way that that works for you. And if, you know, people say, well, what about the extra extra money? And I said, you know, of course there's a fee for using an architect, but I would prefer that somebody doesn't buy, you know, that brand new flashy kitchen, and uses some of that money to hire an architect because, after all, that brand new flashy kitchen will not be brand new and flashy in five or six years. Um, however, a well designed space will be that forever.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And they're not people assume that they're going to be expensive, but that's not necessarily the case, is it?
1: No, and look, you know, you, you can there are architects for all types and scales of jobs. There are you know, architects with one man or one woman bands, there are small firms, there are big firms. And um, if you go to like the OMAOBA website, there's a um, there's a service. They have a free service called the Find an Architect Service. And you can type in your postcode. You can type in the scope of works in terms of, you know, I want to build a house or I just want an extension or I want a new kitchen extension. And you can type in your budget and they will put you together with architects based on that criteria. So more often than not, they are not that expensive. Um, and also, you know, I've always said this as well, eight, before when, we, when I ran the contracting business, 80% of the jobs, we used to run a service called Project Rescue, where we'd go into um, jobs that had gone wrong. 80% of those jobs would not have gone wrong if the clients had used an architect. So the question really is, can you afford not to use an architect?
0: Yeah, you're actually saving money a lot of the time, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, well, that is great advice to end on. Um, just to say thank you very much for your time and advice. Pleasure. It's been lovely talking to you.
1: You see, thank you very much.
0: If you'd like to visit Kunley's website, then it is over at com, and his Instagram is at Kunle Barker. He also has a brilliant YouTube channel called Kunle Barker TV with some great nuggets of advice there for home development. And also the website that he mentioned earlier with his new venture is inframe.space. And that's definitely worth taking a look at. As always, my website for design services is LucyLovesYou.com, and my Instagram is Lucy Gleason Interiors. Please do pop over and say hi. Next week brings another great guest and until then, have a good one.